It is good to be here. I want to welcome those of you joining us online at Crossroads Live as well as Fort Lupton. And you look, let me tell you, well-rested today, all right? Like you took advantage of that one hour of sleep, extra hour of sleep that we got last night. I know a couple of the camera guys here uh, did not take advantage of the one hour extra of sleep. I think they just used it to party all night, didn't you? And so, yes, this is my son and his best bud, Gavin, on the, on the cameras. And so, uh, anyways, we are uh, glad that you are here today. And I'm pumped, actually, to be able to uh, bring this message to you as we continue in our series that we're calling The Double Yellow Line, where we're really looking at, over the next couple of weeks, how healthy boundaries promotes healthy relationships and healthy lives. That's what uh, this series is really all about. Now, if you missed the last couple of weeks, what I want to do is just catch you up for a moment, or last week, I want to catch you up for a moment, because when it comes to boundaries in our lives, boundaries are really everywhere, aren't they? And if you're a driver, if you're someone who's 16 or older, then you understand pretty well uh, boundaries and the role that they play in our lives. Like when it comes to the double yellow line, you don't cross the double yellow line. You don't drive on sidewalks, right? You like stay in your lane. And boundaries are given to us for the good of all people. And we see that when it comes to the physical boundaries in our lives. And when boundaries are broken, oftentimes it creates the opportunity for people to get hurt or to be harmed. Maybe if you're a Seinfeld fan, you remember maybe the greatest Seinfeld episode is when Kramer adopts like a one-mile stretch of interstate. Anybody, any, any Seinfeld fans in here? None, only me. All right, so a 90s kid. Okay, three of you in the back. All right, well, let me just tell you the story. Kramer adopts this, this mile worth of interstate, and in doing so, uh, he decides he's going to change up some things. And so he decides it's going to go from four lanes to two lanes. And then there's this cutscene of people like driving all over the place and they're crashing into each other and cursing and yelling like everything's gone bad. And then he decides he needs to change it back like boundaries are good. And so he needs to change it back. So he takes paint thinner and he puts it out there trying to fix it. And then Newman drives over it. Sparks happen. Fire goes like boundaries gone bad, like huge. All right. Seinfeld demonstrated that for us. Now, when it comes to physical boundaries, we have a kind of understanding of how they work and why they're needed. But there's also in our lives relational boundaries. And relational boundaries are equally as good, and when ignored, can be equally as bad. And the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church in Galatia, helps us understand the proper role of boundaries in our lives. And we looked at this last week in Galatians chapter 6, that Paul looks at us and he says to us that we are to carry one another's burdens. That's what we're to do, that we're to help one another in our carrying of our burdens, that we're to bear one another's burdens. Now, when we think of the idea of burdens, the idea behind what Paul's saying there is like a big boulder that you can't carry by yourself, that you need someone else to help lift this. And in many times, other people around us have burdens that are too big for them to bear. They don't have enough knowledge. They don't have enough strength. They don't have enough resource. They don't have enough know-how in order to be able to lift those burdens. And one of the greatest movements of love that any single one of us can do is to deny ourselves and come along someone who needs their burden to help lift that, to help bear that for them. And in fact, Paul tells us that when we do that, that we are acting like Jesus. But then just a few verses later, he says this to us in Galatians chapter 6, 5, that each one should carry his own load. So we're to bear one another's burdens, but we're to carry each other or our own loads. And this idea of load, if you want to think of it this way, is like a backpack, that all of our stuff for the day goes in our backpack, and we throw it on our shoulders, and we walk around, and we're able to carry our backpack, that we're able to carry our own load, that each and every one of us are expected to carry the things that we can carry. When it comes to relational boundaries, those are things like feelings and attitudes, behaviors, 
as well as the responsibilities that God has given each and every one of us to live out individually, even though it may take some effort to do so. So the idea around this whole series is that boundaries are a simple way to describe and define our spheres of influence. That's simply what a boundary is. When it comes to relational boundaries, it's a simple way to describe and define our spheres of responsibility. In other words, what are the loads that you're responsible for in your life? So that brings us today, where we're talking largely today about marriage in, uh, our boundaries in marriage. Now, before we discover some good, healthy boundaries in marriage, I want to talk a little bit about happiness. And the reason that I want to talk about happiness before we get to boundaries in marriage is because almost every marriage counseling I've ever done, at some point, one of the spouses, one of the partners will utter these words, I just want to be happy. That in 90% of all the marriage counseling that I've ever done, that phrase comes out in some way, I just want to be happy, that we all want to be happy. Now, when we look at the Bible, we see that joy and happiness is a really big deal. Again, the Apostle Paul, writing to this time, the church in, in Philippi, writes these words in Philippians chapter 4. He says, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Like, have joy in your life. That a big part of following Jesus is joy, happiness, well-being in our lives. That's, that's a big part of what it means to follow Jesus. But, hear me in this, happiness is not a goal. Happiness is not a goal in our lives. Happiness is not the goal of marriage. Rather, happiness is a result of achieving a goal. And so, about 20 years ago or so, in the field of psychology, a very new kind of way of thinking started that eventually became called uh, positive psychology. And this field of study really has to do with like well-being, health, success, virtues, flourishing in people, the things that we all really care about in this life. And in the last 20 years, there's been tons of studies done on positive psychology from hundreds of universities all across the United States and really all across the globe. And of all of those areas that uh, hundreds of studies have actually been done, and the question that's been asked is where does your happiness come from? Like, this is amazing. Like, science has a way to quantify where your happiness comes from. Now, before we get to that, I just want to ask you, how would you answer that question? How would you answer the question, where does my happiness come from? If I was to put you on the spot and say, where does your happiness come from, how would you answer that? Particularly in light of what we're going through today, pandemic, racial tension at an all-time high, an election on Tuesday. Like, how would you answer the question, this is where my happiness comes from. Well, science, through hundreds of studies, has been able to quantify where your happiness comes from. And according to science, 10% of your happiness comes from circumstances. Only 10%. 10% comes from circumstances. Which means whether you get like a promotion or a raise or something bad happens to you or the president that you're voting for is elected on Tuesday or the president you're voting for doesn't get elected on Tuesday, like all of, all of that stuff only contributes to 10% of your happiness. Circumstances only account for 10% of your, of your happiness. Science has basically shown over and over again that if your basic needs are covered, your circumstances have very little to do with your happiness. In fact, hear this. Also what science has found is that if you tomorrow woke up to an unexpected surprise, like let's say you walk into work tomorrow and you get a raise, like how awesome would that be, right? Like, like your boss just comes, I'm giving you a raise. What science has found is that your happiness meter in your life will go up for about two weeks. 
And then you'll come back down to whatever your normal contentment is. That when circumstances, the way that circumstances affect our lives, they have about a two-week effect on our lives, and then we return to whatever our baseline contentment is. Only 10% of your happiness comes from the circumstances in your life. So what about the other? Well, 50% of your happiness comes from your natural disposition, your basic temperament. If you know Christy McGee, she's kind of our front desk lady here at, at Thornton, and she is like smiles all the time, right? If you want to know Christy, Christy is like poppy princess, and she explodes happiness and glitter all over the place. Like that's, that's Christy, right? Now, most of us aren't like Christy, right? Like, but your disposition, your basic temperament accounts for 50% of your happiness. So 10% is circumstance, 50% is your natural temperament. So the last 40%, this is where it gets really interesting. That according to research, the last 40% of your happiness is totally under your control, which is really good news because you can do very little about your circumstance and you can do nothing about your wiring. But 40% of your happiness Research shows if you're not dealing with something critical like, like clinical depression or anxiety, that 40% of your well-being is under your control in what's called life practices. Things like practicing forgiveness, generosity, stewardship, boundaries. And so, if you're here today, and whether you're happy in your marriage and you're just looking to grow, or you're in a struggling marriage and, and it's, it's, it's bad, or if you're in a relationship, or if one day you think you're going to get married. Like, this is for you. This is for you. And so as we get into boundaries in marriage today, what I want to do is I want to set a, for a few ground rules for us as we walk through this, all right? Like, I realize I ran the marriage ministry here at Crossroads for 10 years, and what would happen is, is I would never set ground rules, and then I would teach this, and everybody would go try to, like, apply it right away, and then what would happen is the next two weeks, I would be in marriage counseling trying to solve everybody's problems, okay? So we're going to set some ground rules to help you with this today, all right? So the first ground rule today is that today is not about fixing or changing or punishing your partner or your spouse, all right? There's none of that. There's no what I call holy elbows. That's when the pastor says something and you're like, hey, yeah, nudge, nudge, like you need to hear this. None of those today, all right? So just pocket those, those go in, all right? The second thing today is that really what we're talking about is the ownership of responsibilities that God has given me or that God has given you individually, all right? That clarifying boundaries in marriage is to help us know where one person ends and the other person begins. That taking ownership of my, responsibility, of, of my responsibilities is vital in any relationship, but particularly when it comes to marriage. So if you can figure out who's responsible for what, then your marriage has an opportunity to change for the better. However, if we can only see, if you can only see that the problems in your relationship, the problems in your marriage is someone else's fault, is your spouse's fault, then you have no hope. Boundaries in marriage is about owning what God calls you to own in your relationship with your spouse. All right, third ground rule. Divorce is not a relational boundary. Divorce is an end of a relationship. If you are at the point in your marriage where divorce is a real conversation that you're having, you need to get third-party help. You need to get third-party help. You can do that through our care ministry. You can do that through our counseling. But you need help in your marriage if divorce is on the table for you, all right? So with those ground rules in place, what I want to do is give you a couple of important boundaries to look at in your marriage, and then we're going to get very practical, and we're going to walk through a boundary and what happens when boundaries are broken, all right? Practical life skills to help your marriage thrive. That's the goal. Happiness, one of the results. 
So, like we've been talking, just like there are boundaries in roads, on our properties, in all of life, there are some practical boundaries that every marriage should have. Now, I could give you a dozen different uh, boundaries for you to apply into your marriage today, but I'm only going to give you two in light of time of where we're going to go. And so the first boundary that every marriage should have is that of words, all right? To which some of you go, words? Like, yes, words. Honey, use your words, right? Like, words, language, is the basic of any boundary when it comes to relationship. That the basic boundary of any relationship is words, the language that we use. That Proverbs 18:21, King Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, he wrote these things in Proverbs chapter 18. He says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, in the t- power of words, and those who love it will eat its fruits. That most of us grew up learning the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt, hurt me. You didn't learn that one either. All right, so no Seinfeld, and you didn't learn that with his elementary. That's totally cool. We'll get to something you know. All right, so that we all have kind of lived through the reality that that saying is totally wrong. All of us have experienced times in our lives when people have come up, to have come up to us and they've spoken words of encouragement that have just set us sailing, haven't we? And we've all experienced in our lives times when people have used words to break us down, to tear us down, where a little part of our soul dies. See, the reason that Solomon writes that your words are life and death is because your words help define you to the people in your life. They tell your spouse specifically who you are, what you believe, what you want, what you hate. Listen, when it comes to words, a boundary is as simple as this. No, I don't want to participate that, in that. Yes, I can't wait to do that. That's the simple boundary when it comes to words. Not too long ago, I was helping a young couple working through kind of a rough patch in their marriage, and it was really rough. I mean, it was bad. And after a few sessions, I realized that neither of them had good boundaries when it came to words. They just didn't. They didn't have good communication skills. And it was literally like destroying their marriage. That the wife would oftentimes just use her words to like railroad her husband. And her husband would just sit there silently like his fence was being torn down by an aerator. I mean, that's, that's the way that their relationship was. And I realized one day that it, not until they could learn to communicate and have proper healthy boundaries around words then this situation would be forever hopeless. And so as the proverb says, their words were death to each other. And their marriage was going the wrong way. And so over the next couple of weeks and really even months, we worked on healthy boundaries when it comes to language, healthy boundaries when it comes to words. And we helped the wife, I helped the wife understand uh, what it looked like to listen to her husband and help the husband take steps to actually vocalize what he was feeling and what he was thinking. Now, it was hard for them, it was rough, it took many weeks, but eventually it clicked. And these boundaries that were so hard became healthy. And suddenly, as Solomon said, life began to sprout. Listen, your words, or the lack of the words that you use, will define you, whether you want them to or not. The most basic of any boundary in relationship is the way that we use our language, the way that we use words. The second important boundary that I would tell you to have for your marriage is around the understanding of time. That one of my most favorite passages in all of Scripture is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, where the Apostle Paul writes this, Be careful then how you live, 
not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the most of every opportunity. What Paul is imploring us to do is to be wise. And he says a wise person, when it comes to wisdom, wise is someone who, who makes the most of the time that's given to them, makes the most of every opportunity that they have. Now, when we apply this to marriage, if we are not careful with our time when it comes to marriage, intruders will show up and they will absolutely wreck your marriage. That we have to have marriages that are actively protecting and, and, and watching out for our marriage. Listen, when it comes to the way that God designed marriage, God designed it for each partner, for both partners, to invest continually in their attachment and in their love for one another. And when we talk about boundaries around time, what I want to make sure that we understand is that not what I'm saying, or what I'm not saying here. Let me just rephrase this. What I, that doesn't mean is that marriage is a self-contained unit in which your spouse meets every need. That's not what I'm talking about. That sustained life does not come from marriage. Sustained life comes from God and God alone. But what God has made clear in marriage is that couples need to work to make sure that their love is secure and safe, that we need to be what the Bible calls wise, that we need to be wise to the vows that we've made so that the outside world doesn't grab a hold of the steering wheel and, and take us where, where we don't want to go. And so my question for you today is this, is what kind of healthy boundaries do you have around time? Things like TV, friends, kids, work, in-laws, addictions, affairs, even the church. What kind of boundaries do you have in your life to protect you from the things outside? Now, as I say this, most of these things aren't bad. In fact, some of these are God-ordained things, things like work and church, that these are things that are everyday part of our lives, that these are part of the loads that we carry, that we're responsible for this. But when something in this world comes between a couple's love for one another, it can be and often is destructive. A marriage is only as strong as we're willing to protect it. A marriage is only as strong as what it costs to protect it. That early on in my marriage, one of the, or early on in my ministry, I should say, here at Crossroads Church, almost like 14 years ago, one of the older pastors named Brett Truex came to me. He was actually the campus pastor of this location when we opened this building all the way back in 2007. I was brand new into the ministry, and he came up to me, and he asked a question in front of my wife, Sarah, of me, and he said, Matt, how many nights a week is it okay for you to be gone doing ministry stuff? Well, I had never thought about that question in all my life. Like the only question that I had, or only thought that I'd ever had when it comes to ministry is I can't, be, I can't wait to be done with school because then I get to do what I really love, which is ministry. Like that's what I was geared up for. That's what I wanted. I'd never ever thought about how many nights a week that I should be gone doing ministry. And Brett looked at me and he said something to me that I'll never ever forget. He said, Matt, the ministry can be 24-7. That the church will take everything that you have and more if you let it. And if you don't have good boundaries around it, around your work, around your ministry life, it will ruin your marriage. And in that moment, I knew he was right. See, part of me is this tendency of, of workaholism in my life. Like, like, I can just go all the time and not think another thing of it. And I know pastors who have been like that, who've, who've taken the church, and the church has taken everything from them, and they've, they've lost their kids. The kids don't want anything to do with them. Their marriage has failed, and now in their later years, they're, they're by themselves. 
And I knew that that would be my story if I was not careful. And so Sarah and I sat down and we had the discussion, what does it look like? How many nights should I be away? And we decided on two. That two nights a week that I could be away from the, church, or from the family doing church work, doing ministry work. The other five, home by five, in order to do dinner with the family. And so for 14 years, that's been by boundary here, which means at times I get up as early as 4 a.m. in order to do work so that I can be home by 5 o'clock. At other times, it's been saying no to some really great opportunities. But this was more important. At other times, it's even meant disappointing people, some of you, saying that I, I just can't do it. But I believe that God has honored that boundary, honored that decision in my marriage, in the way that my marriage thrives, that God has, has honored that protection. That here's a marriage and boundary rule for you. Those who value their marriage will pay a high price to protect it. Those who value their marriage will pay a high price to protect it. For those who pay that high price, odds are that your marriage is probably pretty good. For those of you who, who life just kind of happens to you and life just kind of happens to your marriage, you're probably living in a little bit of disappointment right now. That when it comes to boundaries in marriage, those who value their marriage will pay the high cost to protect it. So look, if you're married or engaged to be married or someday want to be married, if you just figure out these two boundaries of words and time, you will be light years ahead of other couples, and you will have a leg up, a leg up on your marriage thriving in healthy relationship with your spouse. Now, I could spend another hour giving you boundaries and examples of boundaries that you should have in your marriage, but we're going to save those for later in this week. And so kind of commercial break here. Uh, this week online, we're going to do a whole lot of things. Jared Haley, our pastor of kind of of the social world, is got the whole thing lined up. So on Monday, tomorrow, we are going to have a little clip from Henry Cloud talking about boundaries in marriage. On Tuesday, Pastor Chris and I, on Tuesday night, will be doing a live question and answer time where we'll answer all of your questions. We'll talk more about boundaries in marriage and what that looks like. And so you can join in on that at Crossroads Live. And then on Thursday, we're going to drop a podcast where we have actually interviewed one of our counselors in terms of boundaries. And so if you need more around this, just pay attention this week. We'll have a lot of resources coming your way. But for a few moments, what I want to get to is something really practical. Like, how does boundaries work out in our lives? And so what I want to do is I want to talk about just really, really quickly what Chris alluded to last week in his sermon, which was the four types of boundary busters that we have, that all of us have some sort of boundary buster tendency in our life, and we call those compliance, avoidance, non-responsive, and controllers. Those are the four kind of boundary busters in, in life. And so what I want to do, what I want to do is I want to give a simple example of an issue that every single one of us has faced in our relationships. Now, just so you know, this is like a level two on the intensity scale, right? We're hanging out in the baby pool. Nobody's jumping into the deep end, all right? Like that's where we're going today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just kind of hang out in the baby pool. We're going to walk through this issue, watch how it plays out kind of in the busting world. And then what does it look like if you're boundaries get busted, all right? So here's the example. Let's say that you're married, and the two of you have made an agreement, that you've made a boundary, and the boundary is this, that dirty dishes will never be left on the countertop, all right? Like, that's the boundary. Now, the boundary, part of the agreement is, is that after you're done with your plate and your utensils, you'll go and you'll rinse off 
the plate and the utensils, you either place it in the sink or the dishwasher, okay? That's the boundary set. Now, let's say that you're the wife, and the wife is tidy, and so this isn't going to really be a problem for her, but her husband is, let's say, tidy challenged, all right? And he doesn't see that there's like a big deal about leaving a peanut butter used knife on the countertop, like not a big deal, all right? So let's just walk through this together. Now, remember, put your elbows away, all right? No elbows. So if you're a compliant kind of boundary buster, and your boundary is being violated, this person isn't going to speak up. That the wife here, she's just going to put up with it. She's just going to continue to, to put the dirty, dishels, uh, dirty utensils and dirty dishes into the dishwasher, and she'll stew. And since the husband isn't hearing any complaints, like he thinks he's like doing a good job, right? Like all things are good. Like I'm winning. Like I, didn't, I can do what I want to do, and we didn't even have to have a conversation about it, right? Like, like this is the way it goes. But eventually what happens is the wife fills up all of that time with just bitterness. And eventually all of that bitterness comes out when she pulls out the grenade launcher loaded with years of bitterness and just fires, right, into the husband's life. In those moments, it's never pretty, always ugly. Second one, the avoidant boundary buster. Now the avoidant boundary buster, she will clean the utensils and then she'll hide them where only she can find them, all right? And then eventually the husband runs out of knives. And so he goes, honey, where's all the knives? And she goes, I don't know. You should chuck the counter. Isn't that where we put the dirty dishes? Boom, right? <laughs> Roasted. Not exactly healthy. Then we get to the controller. And the controller, when she finds the dirty dishes on the counter, that she will make her husband stop whatever he's doing, whether he's talking to mama on the phone or on a business meeting on Zoom, it doesn't matter. She is going to let him have it. And maybe for a short time this works. But eventually the husband wises up, and he either withdraws or he prepares for the fights. This never ends well. The fourth is the non-responsive. The non-responsive will just let the dirty utensils and dishes accumulate on the countertop, and eventually she'll just go out to dinner by herself, right? And this hopeless road typically ends in a dead end where the husband and the wife end up in a space where there is zero expectation of responsibility in their lives. So if this is your scenario, if you've lived something through this, like this, then what do you do? What do you do when your boundaries have been busted? Well, number one, when it comes to boundary busters, the reality is, is that all of us have a buster tendency in our lives. The problem is, is that we're really good at seeing it in our spouses more than we are ourselves. So when you discover your spouse, your spouse's uh, boundary buster, it doesn't mean that he or she is a, a worse person than you. It just simply means that they're fallen. It means they're fallen. So please hear me on this. As you figure all of this out when it comes to boundaries, that judgment and condemning never help. Judging and condemning never help. Number two, realize that if you've never done this before, if you've never done the boundary thing before, then your boundary muscle is weak. And like any muscle, you need to use it in order for it to get stronger. And so when a boundary is busted, commonly what we need to respond with is mercy. Just simply ask your question, if I was to break my wife's boundary or my husband's boundary, how would I want them to treat me? What does mercy look like in this situation? And respond accordingly. The third thing is to create time to have regular conversation. 
regular conversation around regular situations or even difficult situations, but where you're able to talk about what you want and how you feel. And then if need be, what would a consequence be if the boundary keeps getting busted? See, when it comes to boundaries, kind of the way that we wrap our minds around boundaries is we have the conversation and we put boundaries in place, like no dirty dishes on the counter. But the problem is, is for the compliant, the avoidant, and the non-responsive, their tendency is not to give any warnings. The boundary gets busted, and then those three in particular just go, well, I'll just deal with it, I'll just go on, and no warning is actually given. So no change actually happens. But then on the controller side, a warning is, ult is ultimately given, but it's given without patience. And when a warning is given without patience, that becomes an ultimatum. That's not any good either. And so when it comes to setting boundaries, we set the boundary. When the boundary's broken, we give a warning in patience, in love. And then, if it comes to it, we set up a consequence that says, you can't continue leaving dishes on the dishwasher. If you do that, I'm going to go out to dinner by myself. Whatever it is, right? Like, like, but you set the consequence so that everybody knows what's going on. Now, here's what I've come to find that's true. Is that when it comes to marriages, most people want their marriage to thrive, even in the worst of marriages. And as you begin to set boundaries, it's a little bit difficult at the beginning, but most people act selflessly in order to, to see a marriage thrive, that they will take it on themselves to do whatever they can to make, this bound, to make this marriage work when it comes to setting boundaries. And so mercy, non-judging, and regular conversations is the way to make this go. So as I wrap all this up, whether we find ourselves in regular situations or difficult situations when it comes to our marriage, most of the time, we find ourselves like Adam and Eve, pointing the finger at our spouse, saying, they're the problem. That's where the problem is. When the reality is, is from Scripture, that God says that we're to take care of our own responsibilities, that we're to carry our own loads. And through that demonstration of self-control, your marriage can thrive. It really can thrive. And one of the results of that will be happiness. So let's pray, and then we'll go to communion together. Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the work of psychology. Lord, the work of people like Henry Cloud, who has literally written the book on boundaries. And God, as we've just spent 25 minutes today talking about boundaries in marriage, Lord, I pray that you would help us see clearly, Lord, the steps that we need to take in our own lives. Lord, to help our marriages thrive. Lord, that first and foremost, no matter who is hearing, first and foremost, Lord, if we are married, if we are in that relationship, Lord, our first ministry is to our spouse. And so, Lord, we want to see it thrive because ultimately our marriage is a picture of our relationship with you. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you. I ask for your strength and your endurance to help us, Lord, to help us do boundaries well in our marriage so that they can thrive and that we can know joy. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.